welcome to Bunta Vista Socialist Club, episode 13. Uh, I am Andrew, and I'm here with Lucy. Good morning. Uh, Theo. Hello. And with us, we have our guest, uh, Trevor, who you may know on Twitter as uh, at Hegelbon. How you doing, Trev? I'm good. And uh, let me just say, uh, here in America, where we consider ourselves the center of everything, it is the evening. So good evening. Oh, good evening to you. <laughs> good evening to you there in the distant past of America. <laughs> we already know what's going to happen. Oh, here. well, I, I'm sure it's all good. It's very bad. Uh, it's oh, very no. Bad. So, Trev runs uh, his own blog and podcast called No Cartridge. The podcast is called No Cartridge Audio, which you can find on iTunes and at his website, uh, no-cartridge.net, if that is correct. It is, and it's also on, I think it's on Google Play and Stitcher, and um, it's not on any of the other ones that you actually have to put it on, but it's on those uh, podcast aggregators that find them and, and grab them and stuff. So, you should probably be able to find it pretty much pretty much anywhere. And if you can't, uh, definitely at me and tell me, and I'll try and get it there. So I just tell them your preferred method. If you mm. would like it to be ripped to a to an audio cassette and posted to you, uh, Trev yeah. will happily do that. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I will I will draw artwork on the outside. I will send you a yeah. note. <laughs> get on get on the Patreon, and you can be sent a note. Two hundred dollars a month for your own mixtape. So uh, basically, um, no cartridge was born out of uh, my. I have a PhD in English, uh, which basically just means I read a lot of books and wrote about them for about six years. Um, and part of what I did was I wrote about video games as well. And in doing that, I realized that there wasn't a lot of people uh, or weren't a lot of people thinking about, uh, I guess, thinking about video games critically is how I'd put it. Uh, but particularly thinking about them as these complicated and uh, difficult pieces of cultural ephemera or art, as the case may be. Uh, a lot of people like to think of them in social terms, uh, you know, the classic, do do violent video games make people kill people, or what do The Sims have to say about our contemporary consumer culture, uh, but very rarely do they go deeper than that. So I started No Cartridge as an effort to, you know, intervene and, and, and do something different, and the podcast has kind of become this really engaging and, and, and fun uh, surprisingly fun interview show where I talk to people who play video games, uh, both, you know, people who are experts, people who just kind of do it casually, people who make video games and just kind of get their take on one particular issue per episode in, you know, the world of video games. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been fairly, it's been fairly successful so far. People seem to like it. So, uh, you know, thanks for everyone listening to me interview smarter folks than I am. That's kind of the, the <laughs> gist of the show. Hey, that's that's our thing, interviewing people smarter than us. It is. <laughs> further, well, further down the ladder. Now we have to fight. <laughs> no no PhDs on this show. Um, I assume. I assume no one else has a PhD they haven't told me about. I'm a brain genius, but uh, it's not, not written down on paper, unfortunately. <laughs> you could write it down yourself. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's one of the things that I, that I really like about your show is that... Um, like you said, you have all all sort of variety of people um, from former former guest of our show, Matt Brady has been on there, mm -hmm. um, through to yeah other other people who sort of you know have their own their own sort of uh, high level PhD analysis of very specific aspects of of gaming and narrative and that kind of stuff, and it's just really interesting to hear people from you know of all different stripes uh, and what it is that they kind of get out of gaming, um, all different kinds of games and, 
uh, all different ways to play and analyze and and take things in. So it, it's it's been really interesting to listen to that and get a really really wide variety of takes on uh, what it is that very different people from very different backgrounds uh, see and take away from stuff like that. Well, thank you. Yeah, and and I should say people really enjoyed your episode, Andrew. Oh, thank you. Uh, so. Andrew has also been on it. You should go check out his episode. It, it was people seem to think it was really good. I thought it was good, but I think as I was saying to um, Theo when I was sending him like episodes I liked, I was going through and remembering parts of every episode that I enjoyed. Uh, when you know the person I was talking to said something I found particularly interesting or insightful, and uh, I just realized I liked all my episodes, which was kind of a good feeling. Yeah, definitely a good sign. I yeah, think. I guess. Yeah. So um, you're working on another project at the moment, a little side project, mm -hmm. um, which you're, you, I think you've already achieved funding for that? Is that I have, yeah. Although people have told me that I, uh, so the side project is uh, basically me going to Evo, which is the, um, the fighting game, I, I guess you call it like the fighting game Super Bowl, but also the fighting game playoffs and regular season. Um, it's a, it's not an invite uh, only game tournament but mostly it's professional fighting game players who pay to basically get in and play a round robin tournament that has a big cash prize at the end for various fighting games uh so guilty gear blaze blue tekken um i think smash is in there uh all sorts of stuff uh street fighter but um my idea with this is so there's this um there's this book by an american sports writer named pa uh, called paper lion uh the sports writer's name is george plimpton and uh, Plimpton, uh, effectively in Paper Lion, and I'm going to get the summary a little bit wrong because I don't have it in front of me, uh, he tried out to be sort of the third string quarterback slash uh, kicker for uh, the Detroit Lions back in the day. So Detroit's uh, American football team. And uh, I can't remember if he made the team or not, but basically he was at least kept around in training camp long enough to actually get a feel for what it was like to be on a professional football team in a period of time hmm. where that was still very mysterious. Uh, so I kind of consider this as, as my version of Paper Lion, uh, where I will train up to become <laughs> plausible at a, at video at a fighting games, <laughs> enter into Evo, um, and the important part here would be fly out to Vegas with my stick and everything, um, and uh, basically report it from the ground, uh, kind of get right into it, do some material reporting uh, from inside the inside the house, so to speak. Uh, I've been told that I under budgeted uh, for this for this. I, I budgeted <laughs> at five hundred, which people were generous enough to to give me and above. Uh, but I am, yeah. As as it stands, I've started uh, working out how to get a, a a fight stick, as they call it, and uh, just dive into the scene as much as I can, write as much as I can on it, and then hopefully someday uh, publish it as a book. Very cool. Thanks. That's wild. Well, yeah. Um, we'll we're going to put the links for you know obviously Trev's show and um. The, the GoFundMe for that project as well. So if you're interested in following along with that and seeing how it turns out and maybe even, um, you know, donating to the progress of it, then all those links will be in the description of the show and on the website, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see how it goes. Um, Thanks. I, I did find myself uh, in getting ready for this show. I, I wound up watching um, wound up watching a bunch of the, the Evo Tekken finalists they're incredibly gripping. It's it's like it's actually like really good YouTube. It's it is crazy to see like you know literally an arena full of people watching two guys with fighting sticks on a stage and you know the the match being shown on a on a giant screen. Yeah, 
I won't get there. I, I, I want to be upfront with this project. I'm not going to get to the final eight. <laughs> what, is, what is a fighting stick? What, what is this? So basically, like, you know, um, the best way I can explain it, you know, the old uh, arcade systems where, like, you'd go in and you'd pop 50 cents in and play Street Fighter 2 or whatever. And it had um, a joystick mm. and uh, six buttons. So, like, high kick, low kick, high punch, low punch, block, and uh, low block. Yeah. Uh, so you'd have the six diagonal buttons and then the joystick, and that's how you did it. Um, a fight stick is basically um, a peripheral that attaches to your computer. It's handheld mostly, uh, or it could go on your lap and it's that, it's just that setup. Okay. It's like, you get a joystick and you get the six buttons and people, um, it's, it's, I mean, of course it's preferred to, to mouse and keyboard, uh, interaction with fighting games, but it's also like greatly preferred to, you know, PS4 controllers or, um, Xbox controllers or whatever. Okay. It's just kind of, it's not necessary. I've been told that it's certainly not necessary for the scene. Uh, but oh, it's necessary. Yeah. So for me, this is like this is part of the whole aesthetic of the project too. Is like really digging down deep and trying to feel out this this. I mean, it's an entertainment scene. It's this new sort of like I don't know moment in sports where video games count, and part of that is the equipment. So uh, the fight stick is just this really strange thing. You can buy expensive ones. You can make your own. People make them out of like wooden boxes and just like do all the wiring inside. It's very very uh that's cool it's baroque nice and have you chosen your game yet yeah i think what i'm going to focus on is uh uh blaze blue and uh guilty gear uh so those two are sort of interchangeable uh but guilty gear is sort of the 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 parent franchise there um i like it's sort of metal which uh appeals to me uh in some ways although i don't listen as much metal as i used to uh and i i like the um it's very King of Fighters esque. It's still two D. It's it's very much like a classic fighting game, and uh, that also appeals to me. Uh, and I just I I'm just never going to compete with people who are good at Street Fighter. That's just never going to happen. So <laughs> I think I think that's a good place to do the oversaturation of it. Yeah, I mean there'd be people who have been playing this professionally or pseudo professionally for twenty years at this point. So I <laughs> I yeah. think you know my old tactic was to do. Uh, was to do M. Bison's sort of like cross-screen attack over and over and over again and make my friends throw the controller. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's going to work. used to play those games a lot. To, although, yeah, I've never played uh, Guilty Gear or Blaze Blue or anything because I stopped playing that kind of game probably around like King of Fighters 2000, like that kind of era. Sure. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really. I love Tekken. But, I mean, you can literally win these games by mashing the buttons. That's just, that's the truth. You can just mash your palm. Watching those, um, I, I definitely think that about, like, Soul Calibur and some mm -hmm. of those sorts of ones. Um, but, yeah, having, having watched those Tekken finals last night, um, that, that definitely kind of shone a light on, on the amount of, of strategy and counterfighting and stuff that you can achieve in those games. Oh. It's, it's disgusting. So you can't just do the same move over and over again. No, you will, Damn, you will in instantly be annihilated. <laughs> they will, they will, yeah, they'll, they'll just, they'll make short work of you. Although it's funny. It's not like the, it's not like there's a lot of variety. Like there's some, it, it, it's this weird, I'm trying to think of a good way to say it. It's not quite like chess. That's, that's kind of maybe an overused and inappropriate analogy. It's a little like, um, 
I, I think, Edrew, you were saying it's a little like boxing when we were talking about it before, and that's not wrong, where, like, there's a lot of feinting and, like, doing, you know, the same kick or the same, you know, uppercut or whatever and trying to draw your opponent out. And then they'll mm. just try and counter each other with these combos. But the other player can block on command. And so, like, all the things that I never cared about in, in uh, fighting games, which is to say difficult-to-do moves and blocking... Uh, turn out to be very, very important and the way you're actually supposed to play these games. Uh, but oh. suffice it to say, I've never played a fighting game like that before, which is part of the, the learning. I am, I'm with you, Lucy. I have won all of my fighting game matches by <laughs> mashing the buttons and knowing one move. Oh, <laughs> Makes people so angry. Yes, it does. There's like a fair bit of parallel between something like, um, say, Formula One as well, where there's obviously a great, there's a, there's a skill, a core skill to it, but then every year, you know, they bring out a new new entry in the franchise or whatever, and people have to search for what is it that gives me the edge over my opponent that's not just skill. Um, you know, there's this particular throw that's broken by three frames that gives you invincibility, and they spend hours and weeks and months looking for these moves or tactics or whatever that to the outside observer don't appear um, strange, but actually give them this insane advantage. And it's a great, great metagame to it. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's this great video from, um, I forget what it's called, but someone sent it to me. It's like, it's like probably the most popular Evo video, but it, 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 it was remarkable to me for what I watched it the other day. And it's this, um, it's a, it's an old street fighter two or street fighter something match. Um, probably like super street fighter or later, but it's uh it's i think it's like ken versus someone and the 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 kind of brilliant thing about the video um obviously it wasn't planned this way it was just an amazing moment in in like it was of luck and skill and stuff but it reveals to you like why you need to know all of these like intricacies so well um this guy was like completely down on health like one more hit would have killed him and uh his opponent busted out this massive combo and he blocked every single hit on like because he knew exactly where they were coming and then like performed this the this attack in the one spot he needed to uh before you know comboing them and coming back from just total defeat and like watching it you 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 almost get excited in the way that you would watch like an actual sports uh match or game or you know depending on what you're watching uh and i watch a lot of sports but like you get you get the feeling that you get like watching someone hit a bottom of the ninth home run or like score a goal in the 90th minute, I guess, if we're talking about soccer uh, or, or I'm sorry, football. Um, uh, like there's, there's these, there's these moments that like you sort of feel it viscerally and you kind of do like watching that f video. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I get it. Like the, all the stuff that I needed to know before is actually the skill of the game. Yeah. I know exactly the video you're talking about Trevor, and uh, it's uh, street fighter three. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, I think it's Ken versus Chun-Li, um, and uh, yeah, I absolutely agree with you that I'm not a, you know, I'm not a deep, like, fighting game fan or player or anything like that, but watching that video, you absolutely understand. Uh, it's, yeah, it's it's absolutely exhilarating. It's great to watch. Yeah, you want to stand up and cheer. It's exactly. unbelievable. <laughs> so, look, you know, obviously, we need to talk about a really important issue here, uh, which is, you know, is... um. Is Crash Bandicoot uh, unfairly culturally appropriating Australian culture? It's very racist. Racist towards Australians, yeah. I think. 
Oh. You've been playing it back recently, haven't you? I have. It's disgusting. Disgusting Australian <laughs> animals. All the villains are these, like, giant koalas and dingoes that are like, oh, g'day, mate, I'm going to get ya. Disgusting. <laughs> Very offensive. <laughs> so offensive. Very offensive. Now I know what it's like to be oppressed. <laughs> how, ma- <laughs> how, many, how many Americans, uh, Trev, do you think their entire cultural window into Australia is Crash Bandicoot games? No, I mean, uh, you know, it, it, it really depends. Because, you know, bef- when Crash Bandicoot came out, most people who would be playing it also were aware of Crocodile Dundee. So, you know, <laughs> Paul Hogan was there, too. It, it, you know, we had we had two. But I think, you know, with these remasters, there hasn't been a lot of, like, extremely popular Australian uh, uh, racism uh, and stereotypes in, in the States. So Crash Bandicoot might actually make up a, a large portion of, like, contemporary people's uh, understanding of your of your country. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's Crash Bandicoot and Rebel Wilson. That's all. <laughs> Most people don't even know she's Australian. It's like it, she, her accent really? is so good. Yep. My wife had on um, oh, what what to what to do when you're single or like how to how to, how to be single. Did she actually do her accent in that one? Like her, not, her actual well, real one? She's just yeah, she's just doing her her normal accent, so she's not doing an accent at all. But it's just never commented on in the movie. They never mm-hmm. go, ah, here's this Australian bird or anything like that. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just not commented on at all. And she's, she's even talking at some point at a party about like, there's, there's two Italian guys who are there for the holidays and she's like, yeah, and they want to know about American customs. (laughs) (laughs) Who better to tell them? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, it was, it was very strange how it was just not, not remarked upon at all. I mean, in her most, in her most famous films, she is, she, she is putting on her American accent. Um, mm. but it, it may be true that she's sort of trying to, trying to, to become like a, a figure for like a more positive figure than perhaps, uh, uh, poor old crash. <laughs> poor old crash. Well, yeah. She, um, she does well for herself. She, I think she recently, uh, won a very rare, uh, defamation suit against, um, All right. like an Australian, an Australian tabloid. Our laws are very different, I think, to, um, to like. Uh, British and American laws around that sort of stuff, like murder is legal. Hmm. Yes, murder is legal, and also, uh, <laughs> so so I think the difference is like um, it's it's why like for example, Tom Cruise has sued a bunch of like British and UK tabloids for like stuff that they've said about him having secret gay lovers and all that sort of stuff. Because I think there, the law is that when someone makes a statement about you like that in a tabloid or whatever, you can take out a suit against them and say, okay, you have to prove that that stuff is true. Right. Otherwise, you're paying damages. Whereas in Australia, you have to prove that the person knew that they were lying when they made the statement. Oh, wow. That's difficult. <laughs> yeah, someone can say something and then just, then just go to court and go, oh, well, my friend told me. Uh, <laughs> a little which, bird told me this was true. Which absolutely yeah. rules uh, when you consider the preponderance of Murdoch-owned um, media in Australia. The, the bar is extremely low. So, um, so good on her for actually winning one of those, I guess. Yeah, good on her. Yeah, good on your rebel. <laughs> we have Ben Mendelsohn too. He, uh, yes. he's he, his star has been rising again, and he's a. Uh, but again, I don't know how many people know he's Australian. I, I learned by reading up on him. Good friend of the show. Mm, friend of the show, Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, he's been, <laughs> been doing well. It was, it was in a bit of, bit of Star Wars. 
He was he, he was in he was in the Netflix. Uh, I, I thought he was quite good in the Netflix prestige TV uh, show uh, Bloodline. He was he played uh, he played the sort of down and out uh, troubled brother. Hmm. Did, a, did a good job as that. Well, it surprises me because he does not do a good American accent. I think <laughs> he pulled it off pretty well in that show. Actually, I think because he had he had a big affect. He could he could do like a large sort of like southerny Florida affect. Oh yeah. And I think that that's a nice that's a nice um, crutch. Probably helps more. Um, yeah. I, I feel like I feel like Australians are, are pretty good at pulling off like your your generic American accent. Oh, far better than the British. Hmm. Well, um. Well, but the other way around. Every, every time you see oh, it's uh, no good. It's no someone good. American attempting to play an Australian, hideous. No. <laughs> oh, woof. Lucy, can I ask? How would how would you is there is there a way that so obviously I, I I can see where you're coming from with Crash Bandicoot and I you know understand this is coming from this is me rejecting something that was yes. dear to me as a as a younger person but I, I think you're right like I think it's I think it's racist um, <laughs> uh, you know I mean racism against uh, Australian seems to be know, something that people think they can get away with in a lot of ways uh, I think it's good. <laughs> classic australian response although even though crash bandicoot which i have not played but get ready to hear me make some statements about it you've never played crash bandicoot jesus uh no shocking no. um sorry everyone sorry uh so with with like crash bandicoot they have a lot of i don't know i guess they just sort of broadly equate um a lot of australian stuff and almost like um like Polynesian yeah, tiki kind of like where the fuck did that come from kind of stuff it's a big mashup yeah yeah they have <laughs> masks they have like masks and stuff that just look sort of Polynesian and all that sort of thing which on one hand is not a great representation of Australia's indigenous <laughs> uh, cultures but on the other hand I feel like if they had have gone to the effort to try and actually insert uh, Aboriginal culture. It would be way worse. Probably would have been a lot worse. Yeah. We'll look at Overwatch with uh, with Roadhog's uh, Aboriginal outfit or Polynesian outfit. Oh, if God. you guys saw that one. Yeah. I, I have not seen that. It's not great. Uh, <laughs> I, w- I do want to ask though, what would be what would be a good uh, Australian platformer? A game that sort of represented Australia oh. well in 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 sort of the tone of Crash. I would love to see an Australian version of Tekken, where bogans fight each other down the pub. Yeah, I think that would be the only acceptable Australian game. Yeah, I think that I think the difference between all the fighters would be just whether or not they've taken their shirt off by that point. Yeah, and you can have weapons <laughs> like a smashed-up bottle. Yep, some of them have different different degrees of sunburn. You know, <laughs> but before you start, there's a there's a five-minute taunting window. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Whoever can, yeah, say, can get out of whoever can say the c word the most wins that <laughs> particular. Uh... Instead of like fatality at the end, it's just like <laughs> fuck you, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a like a skill shot at the start of pinball, but where you can try and king hit a guy when he isn't looking at you <laughs> yep. um, at the very start of the fight. Yep, and then, and the loser goes home in the back of a police van. <laughs> yep. Yes, yes, goes home in the back of a divvy van. That is correct. <laughs> This is this is going to be a good game, you guys. I think. Like, mm. I think we're onto something. I think you really are. Yeah, we've got some more Australian games coming up. 
Oh, that's true. That's true. We, we, we do have some questions for you about that. So, um, you know, obviously there are some games that are set in Australia, like Crash Bandicoot. Um, there's, there's a lot of games that have like just a stage set in, in Australia, like, um, like a lot of like rally games and, um, a lot of racing games, mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, a lot of fishing video games. We'll Ooh, have a nice. stage yes. set in Australia. Yeah. Uh, Tony Hawk, Tony Hawk 2 had a stage set in Australia. Oh, yeah, they've got a bon- Bondi Beach thing. level in Tony Hawk. It's some good shit. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've played that. That's the Tony Hawk I've played the most of, too. Yeah, for yeah, sure. It's good. And um, Command and Conquer 3 was partly set in the Australian Outback. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, some abandoned nuclear base. The, the bad Command and Conquer. <laughs> yes, yes. So, um,. So I thought uh, maybe maybe we could also have a bit of a chat about games that are made in Australia because I think that by and large um, Australia really punches above its weight when it comes to the actual game development industry. Do we? Yeah, absolutely. Like um, just as far as as games that are not just profitable but really critically acclaimed as well. I mean, there's a whole lot of games that came out. I I was shocked to see how much of a presence that Australia had in game production in like the early nineties. Hmm. Really? Yeah. Particularly things like um like Super Nintendo and Mega Drive uh games that are like adaptations of popular films at the time. Hmm. Like you know all those kinds of games like Cliffhanger and all that sort of shit. There was like a um there was a Mad Max NES game that was made in Australia. Oh wow. right, yeah, 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 sure. But let me let me list a few off for you. Um, the the 1987 video game Barbarian that was made in Australia. Ah, classic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the 1992 Super Nintendo game Cal Ripken Junior Baseball <laughs> made in Australia. <laughs> oh, that's such a shame. Like that's that's probably an alright game, but it's just the if you say SNES baseball game and then don't say Ken Griffey Junior, uh, <laughs> it's just so disappointing. <laughs> well, it was uh, there was that game Mech Warrior as well. From 1993. It's a classic. It's a, a legitimate classic. Here's, here's the one that blew me away, which I realized recently. Um, the game Shadowrun for the Super mm. Nintendo. That was made in Australia. I feel like that was a very, um, that was a very definitive game for aesthetics and, um, mm. and like Western, I guess, Western uh, console RPGs. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, between that and Mad Max, I feel like Australian games have uh, Australian-made games have populated my codes and cheats and tips magazines of Nintendo Power more than almost anyone else. <laughs> it's because we're cheaters. <laughs> <laughs> cheaters and criminals. <laughs> yeah, just trying to find a way to commit in-game crime. <laughs> Done pretty well with uh, mobile game development as well. Uh, Crossy Road was Australian. And of course, that classic mobile game, Fruit Ninja. Oh, Fruit Ninja! Wow, Fruit Ninja was Australian, which, um, which for context, uh, hit hit a billion downloads in 2015. So they're still going strong, apparently. And I read that it makes makes four hundred thousand dollars a month from ads. Wow! So it's like three percent of our GDP. That makes me feel awful. Yeah. yeah <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, I assume that they have moved overseas for tax purposes, though. I was thinking they were just, like, funneling it all into Australia. Like, they're just, like, a really patriotic company. But no, no, 
No, probably not. <laughs> that never happens. That's, that's my guess. That's my guess. Um, well, I wonder. I wonder how much it's similar to the Australian film industry, where the government does a lot of tax credits. Um, they do a lot of assistance with production and that sort of stuff. Um, and to my knowledge, that's sort of what led to um, a lot of American game companies helping set up uh, Australian studios. I wonder if that's true, because there's, you know, I think like one of the things that would would stand in the way of that would be not viewing video games as like a particularly valuable cultural commodity. Because I think a lot of the reasons those tax credits get set up in places like Australia or Canada um, is because like film is seen as like an important national cultural commodity. And like the uh, video games are sort of like just products. I guess like the, obviously I would consider them as a cultural commodity, but I think there's a lot of people who would say like, yeah, look, like why would I care where a video game was produced? I don't need my, I don't know, my razors to be produced in, America. I don't have any national pride about those. Uh, yeah, I, I think, have national pride about my video I, games. I think it's a really good point because Australia is sort of is caught between these two sort of things. Where one, uh, um, I don't think, yeah, the government or people in government actually, you know, see it as an art form. Um, for a very long time, we had um, some uh, censorship rules uh, in Australia around video games that might surprise people. Um, certain games, um, if they were deemed to be inappropriate for people over 15 years uh, sorry under 15 years um we're just no sorry under 18 um we're just not allowed and there are certain criteria for that but um on the other side of things um there's a certain thing within the within within our government that wants australia to be seen as like a tech haven like a techie place Mm-hmm. Um, okay. and, and part of innovation. that is, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> innovation's a buzzword of our, um, current, you know, boring centrist government. And, um, the, and, and part of, part of that is sort of jumping on band, bandwagons as they, as they come. And so, uh, you know, we want people to be on making mobile games and doing all this sort of stuff, totally, totally orthogonal to any kind of art that they might produce. Of course. Mm. Although we we certainly have had our, our list of successes for yeah things that would have just been really commercially successful like um Bioshock one and two were developed in Australia oh yeah it was sort of a, a strange um, arrangement where we had so they had Take Two Studios in was that in Sydney yeah I want to well, say so. yeah and and they also had Take Two in Boston and they'd kind of do this time sharing thing where they'd check in at the end of the day and then uh, you know the Boston people would take it up and they'd work on it and then um had this sort of cyclical arrangement of of work around the clock <laughs> so they figured out how to how to make 24 hour work days yeah absolutely <laughs> oh, all right you know what every time you think capital can't do it it just it surprises you <laughs> turns out you can't have video game sweatshops um, <laughs> Which, in turn, reminds me of a conversation that I was hearing recently uh, around, like, um, how you hear centrist and centre-left governments um, saying, oh, it's really important that we get everybody coding, you know? That's going to be the new yeah. the new business of the Ugh. future. Let's get everybody coding. Let's teach people to code in primary school. And the, um, the opposition leader in Australia, um, Bill Shorten of the Labour Party, he's you know gets into a lot of that he's very like they should be teaching code in primary school and it's one it's one of the 
the DNC's planks now. Of course it is. And I, I was hearing a conversation <laughs> recently, I want to say on um, Chapo Trap House. Yeah, yeah, it was. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's a guest talking about that and saying, yeah, this isn't, this isn't because they want to make everybody rich or anything. It's because currently that is a thing that people get into as, as specialists. People go through university and they learn how to do this stuff and become specialists in it and can command high salaries. Whereas if you get everybody doing it from a really young age and flood the market, then you can basically bottom out the salaries on on that whole industry, and then you can have all of these corporations pumping out 24-hour-a-day game sweatshops. That is 100% correct. I mean, it's one of the things that I I have talked about in the past and I'm trying to talk about all the time because it it would just get boring, but uh, it's not so much different from the the glut of of PhDs here in America. Um, I once once said to an advisor that it was like um, the the surplus labor um, army, that Marx talks about in Capital, and he he would not go there with me. Uh, <laughs> he would would quite go that far. But um, uh, you know, shout out shout out to my friend Jerry Graff. The amount of PhDs we have in in America is is so great that even though you know I have I did a specialized six year program, I I know my field as well as anyone. I, I've I've spent you know hundreds and hundreds of hours in the classroom learning how to do what I do. Um, it is extremely difficult for me and anyone to get any sort of work such that even like, so I applied for, uh, I won't give all the details, but like I applied for a, a single course. Uh, it's just like a replacement course. So not a, not a full-time job, just one course, um, which pays say maybe like 5,000 American for a semester. Um, there were, I, I wasn't the only person who applied and I also wasn't the only person who interviewed. So it is extremely competitive and basically, you know, people who command these massively difficult degrees um, are getting paid peanuts because the labor market's so flooded. It it absolutely works if you want to deflate salaries. Yeah. And I think the other thing um, is not just money, it's uh, worker protections. Um, and mm. here in Australia, we've got relatively strong worker protections, although it kind of ebbs and flows. And Australian game studios tended to mostly avoid, or my understanding is that mostly avoided the kind of um, process that, you know, uh, American game studios go where they where they ramp up uh, a company's workforce to get the game over the line and then uh, you better hope they've got another game signed up afterwards or else you know you've got to yeah. pack up shop and then go move across the country to work for another studio um, yeah. whereas Australia's gaming studios I think tended to be um, mostly baked in you know we had we had pandemic uh, in in Australia um, we had Oren um, Oren's still around there another company now and they they continue and they they tend to have the same people for a very long time but if you start to make it a commodity if you start to make a programmer a commodity then you know the the need for worker protections from a corporate side I think start to go down because you don't really care because you can pick up programmers elsewhere you start to push for fewer protections and you might end up in a situation like America where uh, I think I think game developers for large studios tend to have a pretty bad time sometimes oh yeah yeah, yeah absolutely mm. I've, I've talked to I won't I won't put them on blast because I don't know how public they want to be about it, but I've talked to people about that before, and it 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 sounds hellish. Oh yeah, just a just a lot of exactly what you're talking about, Theo. Where 
you know, basically a studio has one game that goes well, or by that time they have, they've ramped up to what they wanted to do, and it's completely unsustainable. You only have to have one more game not go very well, or even get to midway through production of something, and it's not going great, and they basically just shutter the studio. Yeah, and it kind of puts all the onus on on for planning well, basically on the employees, because if they don't, if they don't break down the the project properly, and they get big spikes and dips in employment, then uh, you know, in a at will employment sort of situation, well, it's not their problem. They just fire or hire as as they like, uh, and it's absolute mm. hell on people. Well, um. Sounded like I was going to say something then. Sure did. It had all of the hallmarks. All the hallmarks. All the hallmarks of talking. Uh, well, yeah, I suppose another another good example of that uh, that we're talking about is um, the game L.A. Noir was was made in Australia. Um, it was made made in a studio in Bondi. Studio Bondi. Sydney. Wow. Studio Bondi. There you go. Uh, and that is a very similar one in its story in that. Uh, you know, they they were a company that was developing a game. Um, you know, it seemed like it was all going very well. Then I think they got picked up by by Rockstar for distribution. No, no, that's right. That was that was who uh, distributed the game. And and yeah, it, it was well received and everything like that. But to my knowledge, I, I don't even know if they really got anything else off the ground after that before. Oh, much I don't being think they had the sales off. for it. Unfortunately. Mm. Wow. Which, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of other a lot of other big name things out of Australia, like uh, Borderlands, the pre sequel was done here. Oh, okay. Um, there's another sort of Australian esque borrowing yeah. from Australia. <laughs> Mad Maxish. Yeah. Uh, Deus Ex: Human Revolution was was developed in Australia too. We're not totally useless. And there is no. a there's there is a whole episode of Trevor's show about a. A very specific um, indie game called Devil Daggers, um, which I found myself watching some videos of last night. Um, it's a it's an interesting sort of game. It's it's new, but it has the the sort of aesthetic of Quake. you know a lot of those sort of first person yeah like Quake and and some of the Doom games and that sort of stuff. It is very Quakeish. I've never actually thought about it that way, but you're right. Um, yeah, it does well, particularly all the the skulls and yeah. All that kind of thing. But yeah, so, so I think the concept of the game is basically that you are in this large, dark arena and um, there are points around it that just are continually spawning enemies. And the longer you go, the more and more that they spawn and the more types and everything. Um, and the moment that you are touched by any of them, you die. And the entire concept of the game is just to just to see how long you can stay alive. Is that correct? That's totally correct. Yeah, and there's no end to it. It's an endless horde. Yeah, and uh, so... So yeah, it basically turns into worldwide leaderboards of whoever can post the longest run of it. And I was I was watching the world record winning seventeen minute long run of that mm-hmm. last night, and um, and boy does it get overwhelming uh, pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, but there you go. That's an Australian game. Oh, all right. That's yeah. a that's a fascinating game. I, I I that speaks well of Australian gaming because uh, or game design because that game is is uh is so deeply simple. Um, you only have mm. one button that really, I guess you can like use the right mouse click to do like a shotgun blast or something, but I never do. Usually everyone, I think myself included, just holds down the left mouse button and just fires at will. 
it's a neat game because it it's so simple, but you keep discovering things as you go along. And even though there's no story, you essentially just like treat it. You treat it in the same way you would treat, say, competitive running in that, you know, you're never going to beat the you're never going to like, you know, get the world record for the marathon. Although maybe I, I don't know. I don't know who's on this podcast. Maybe there are. Uh, are you guys Olympians or should I know <laughs> really speaking out of turn here? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that none of us are ever going to achieve the world record for most things. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I, you know, uh, I'll leave it open. Um, I'm certainly not going to, but maybe you guys will. Uh, but Lucy might win the world record for most racist game. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's going to come from Australia, folks. It's got yeah. to. Yes. Oh, for sure. You've got to represent. <laughs> but, uh, but no, like the, you know, you, if you run cross country, you run marathons, you compete against yourself, right? Like that's the point. It's not, you're never always trying to get the record. Like some people are, but most people are just competing against themselves. And it's the same thing with devil daggers. It's just this kind of internalized competition. And it's very calming, even though it's overwhelming. It's, it's kind of like a, I mean, it's a very simple game, and I don't play it for extremely long stretches of time, but it's kind of a brilliant little game. It's perfect in its own cool. way. All right, uh, so we ha- we have a we have a game that we want to play with you here. Okay. Wait, 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 before we start the game, before we start the game, can you guys look at Polynesian? I, I, I just, like, someone's going to have to edit out all my typing. I don't yes. want to make it work. <laughs> yes. I've been looking uh, at it the whole time. It's incredible. You've been looking at Polynesian <laughs> Roadhog? I think it needs so to be the is... episode uh, picture. <laughs> It's um, it's it, to me, it's not as offensive as it could be. Okay, there's a lot going <laughs> on. It say. looks like a World of Warcraft outfit. Yeah, it looks like mm. it looks like if you had a, a World of Warcraft player who was who was meant to be Maori, you know. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say it could be way worse. Could be more racist, <laughs> and that's good enough here in this country. <laughs> Hang on, is is Roadhog a white guy? I think Roadhog is supposed to be Polynesian I, oh, or, okay. or, or, or a New Zealander. Okay. Um, yeah. okay. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I'll tell you what. We'll post it. Um, we'll post it on, on the Patreon page. We'll run a poll. See what everybody thinks. We'll, we will determine from, uh, from our listeners exactly how racist this character is. This, this group of white people. Yes. <laughs> I'm really excited yes. to hear how this goes. <laughs> All, right. All right. So we have, a, we have a game we have devised for you called uh, Bonza or Bullshit. All right. Uh, and in this game, we are going to give you the, the title of some video games. And you need to tell us whether you think that it is it is bullshit or it is an actual real game that exists. Okay. All right. So if you are ready. I'm ready. Um, here we go. We'll, we'll give you a couple of you. Okay. Uh, we have, let's see, uh, Shark Hunter 3, Great Australian Bite. <laughs> um... I'm gonna say that is a real video game. Oh, that one's that one's bullshit, mate. Damn. Oh, that sounds that's so real sounding. That sounds it, like sounds fun. Like, it sounds exactly like yeah. It sounds exactly like where you would go in the third episode of that video game. <laughs> it does. It does sound good. Um. All right. We we. All right. All right. We also have a, a picnic at Hanging Rock, a point and click murder mystery. That is a true game. That is that is also bullshit. What? <laughs> I could swear I've seen that game on the Steam store. This is ter- <laughs> you're, you're having a larf. Uh, we we also we also have others for you. We have um, uh, the Adventures of Down Under Dan. <laughs> this all sound real. Um, I'm just gonna zig instead of zag, and I I know I'm gonna regret it, but I'm gonna say that's bullshit. 
That is a real game. <laughs> okay. That's, all right. All right. Really? What is this? That, that is that is absolutely a real. Wow. Game. Is it good? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's it seems well down down under Dan in this game is basically a um a fictionalized uh crocodile Dundee type a knockoff. Fi- a fictionalized, as opposed to the real one. All right. Uh, so we've also got what do we got here? We got tie the Tasmanian tiger to bush rescue. Uh, real. That is real. <laughs> oh, good. Finally, yeah. I got one. I got one. <laughs> that sounded too, too dumb not to be real. It's a. It's actually a series. There are three games in the Tie the Tasmanian Tiger <laughs> series. Apparently, yeah, they're quite successful. That's apparently. a successful franchise. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we have. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, I'm worried I might be giving this one away. Uh, <laughs> uh, Harold Holt's Ocean Floor Exploration. <laughs> bullshit. You, you are correct. You are correct about that one. It is bullshit. It is bullshit. Oh, good. I, think, I think we should play The Adventures of Down Under Dan. I'm having a look at some screenshots right now. It looks like it's on. Yeah. it was on DOS, and it's like... A guy shooting an emu in a plane saying, I don't believe it, the world's only flying emu. (laughs) (laughs) It looks like Mm. fun. Someone's got to do a Twitch playthrough of that. I'll do it. I'll do it. (laughs) Wow, this looks... I I was expecting... I'm looking at screenshots, too, and I was really expecting a, um, like, a Commander Keen-style game. Mm. Mm. This is much different. Um, All right, we've got a couple left for you here. Okay. Um, We've got... Pat Rafter's True Blue Tennis Jamboree. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> bullshit? That is bullshit. That is okay, bullshit. Okay, you are correct. Okay. You're correct. All right. All right. Your, your batting average is improving here. Uh, yeah, a little bit. And of course, we have uh, Shower with Your Dad Simulator 2015. Do you still shower with your dad? Ah, uh, I actually, I know who made that game, and I know it is real because someone purchased it for me. That is a real game. <laughs> that game was made, of course, by enemy of the show, Marvin. Enemy of the show. Mm. <laughs> uh, at uh, Bonerman Incorporated on Twitter, if you would like to check out uh, some of his games. He does amazing uh, game jams. Uh, all that kind of thing. He, he makes really, really cool stuff. Just never talk to him because he'll just quote the beginning of Morrowind verbatim at you. <laughs> I'm I'm not lying. <laughs> well, um, I I did see I did see a thing that Marvin posted online recently, which was a screenshot of one of those um one of those services that's like, hey, here's a crack for Steam games, and it was and it was for his game, and he had just <laughs> posted it with the caption, but it costs a dollar. <laughs> yeah it's 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 the cheapest game on steam far and away and like it actually looks like a lot of fun i've never actually opened it up and played it but i've had it installed for a long time oh it's great yeah it, it looks fantastic it's and it's, it's really it's worth way more than a dollar when he was putting it out he said oh, i'm gonna charge a dollar for it and sort of said well maybe charge more because he's sold, yes. he's sold a shitload. Uh, he's mm. he's done done really well. It's been a bit of a success. So, uh, more power to him, uh, enemy of the show. We even wish the best for our enemies. Mm. Um, get on Steam, buy yourself a copy of Shower with Your Dad Simulator 2015 if you would like to see the very best that Australian game development has to offer. 
so now we thought we might might traipse over to our extremely real and and physically existing mailbag full of letters from our listeners. So excited! And maybe maybe you could answer some questions for us. I would love to answer some questions, and I like I like the image of you holding the mailbag like a like an Australian Santa Claus. <laughs> yep, big big sack of mail. <laughs> now the question is: Would you would you like the serious questions uh, at the at the front or at the back of the mailbag? <laughs> oh, I mean, definitely at the front. I think the the funny questions would be better to to end on. Okay, well, um, I've got a very serious question here from a friend of the show, a big dumb baby. <laughs> he asks, "Does Crash Bandicoot fuck?" Uh, no. Crash Bandicoot is is Valsel. Uh, <laughs> he 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 could. There are many option opportunities for him to do so, uh, but um, all of his adventures are. It, Towards purely platonic means. Yeah, I feel like the uh, that, rock coming towards the, the the stage where he's got to run away from the rock, mm-hmm. uh, coming towards the camera is a metaphor for temptation. Mm-hmm. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Don't and fall I, in the I, holes. I think, I think the I think the 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 evil doctor just kind of being portrayed as a giant head is like is about the the sort of like difficulty of the mind betraying the body. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. I gotta disagree. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, uh, go ahead. It was just weird how they made Coco, his sister, so sexy. <laughs> I'm not sure why she's meant to be so sexy. And there's just there's just ways that they look at each other that I find very very uncomfortable. I think they fuck. Mm. Wow. So you 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 think he's like he's into he's into incest? Too. I think so. But I mean, he's a bandicoot. I can't I can't judge. You know, maybe that's what they do. Mm. Yeah, that's normal for those guys. That's normal. Good on them. Yeah. All right, so mixed mixed opinions there. <laughs> mixed views. Interesting. Okay, good. Yeah. All right, we we have another question from um, uh, dear friend of the show, Tal Waterhouse, uh, who asks, uh, "Do you think Hideo Kojima has reached his limit as an auteur, or does he have a lot further to go?" It's a good question. Um, I think so. I'm going to answer. I'll I'll answer it like fully in a way that'll satisfy you in a second. But I think the my real answer to it is. Um, it kind of depends on how much you think he is an auteur. Um, obviously he's the closest in some ways you have to, uh, kind of like the classic, uh, you know, Bergman or, uh, even Spielberg style auteur, um, in video games. But there's a lot of people who would tell you at this point that Kojima's work is just as much about the people actually developing the stuff as it is from him as an idea man. Um, the sort of, uh, we are at a socialist podcast, so why not? The, uh, division of labor, mm. uh, is, is not entirely as fairly distributed as even it is in sort of like a, a film, um, where you could actually point to the director, the auteur and say like his fingerprints are all over this or her fingerprints are all over this. Um, Kojima's are, but it's also, it's hard to say how much of that is like him really putting his fingerprints there and how much of that is the myth of Kojima. Um, now with that said, um, I see no reason why he can't keep growing as a creator. Um, I think Metal Gear would have reached its end, whether or not he, uh, he and Konami got angry at each other. Um, I don't necessarily know if his weird Norman Reedus, you know, psychedelia is where he wants to go (laughs) in a perfect world, but you know, if that's what he likes and that's what he wants to do, um, you know, I think, I think he's growing as a thinker and like as a, as a, you know, as someone who thinks about video games. So 
if in fact it's he is his, his an auteur um has plenty of room to grow but i think what we're going to find is that video games don't support that as much as we quite want them to mm. or maybe they do but not on that scale mm, yeah, yeah, yeah that might be a good way of thinking about it there's lots of indie auteurs all right we have a question here from uh one fat man <laughs> friend friend of the show one fat man uh it's a it's an old-timey question mario kart 64 or goldeneye Fuck, I hate Goldeneye. It's the biggest, most overrated piece of shit. It's so horrible. Have you wow. ever... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had That's to say brutal. it. That's <laughs> brutal. I'm a Goldeneye person uh, for sure. I'm glad that there's some dissension, oh, though. Damn. I respect what it did for, like, first-person shooters, but, you know, it's, it's bad. It's very difficult. Oh, so this is, like, how I feel about the Ramones. <laughs> <laughs> that they're bad and difficult? No, I, yeah, I, res- I respect what I respect what they did for the for their for the scene or whatever. Yeah. But it doesn't mean I want to listen to it. I think yeah. it's because I yeah, didn't play sure. it. I didn't play it when it came out, and going back and playing it is just insane. Oh yeah, that that's not going to work. No. You shouldn't go back and play it. Yeah, that's not that's no. not a way to experience Goldeneye. Absolutely not. Need to leave it in the past. Yeah, I think my my like you know Mario Kart sixty four would definitely be the one that would be more playable today. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you're talking about, like, what I would suggest people play than Mario Kart 64, but in terms of what I uh, enjoyed more at the moment, uh, I definitely played a ton more Goldeneye. Hmm. Yeah, me too. A lot of the old, um, a lot of, like, the, the Golden Gun, a lot of the one-shot kill oh, yeah. matches. Mm. Those uh, were a blast. Playing, playing a lot of that with my uh, friend of the show, my brother. <laughs> 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 my brother, Chris. Played so a lot of Goldeneye with him. Yeah. Pretty much everyone except for Marvin, I think, at this Pretty point. Pretty much. It canon. I bet you and your brother never got mad at each other either while you were playing those Golden Gun matches. <laughs> oh, never. Never. Yep. No one's no one's ever been mad about a video game before. <laughs> Getting a little over-competitive. Who was Odd Job? Uh, just Ooh. karate chopping away. Mm. Odd Job. Old terrible Odd Job. Ugh. Oh, look, we've got an important question here. Mm-hmm. Uh, from fr- friend of the show, James Turnbull. And James asks, uh, why aren't you talking about ethics in game journalism? <laughs> what is this podcast trying to hide? Who's gotten to you? What did they pay you? <laughs> is this guy related to Malcolm or? <laughs> uh, no, luckily. Luckily uh, not. <laughs> that's, that's kind of a shame. We could, we could yes. have a, a real like a uh, Trump, uh, US, uh, Trump Turnbull conversation with him. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll reference my, my good Australian friend and ask you how he's doing Paul Hogan. Um, <laughs> some, that's a contemporary, uh, commentary for something that happened two weeks ago. Uh, oh, that was so good. This was the only thing he could bring up was like, Hey, Paul Hogan exists. <laughs> uh, you know what? Um, I'm trying to hide that I'm a big, uh, SJW and, um, <laughs> I'm mostly in this for continuing my grand scheme of censoring uh, boobs. I don't like them. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to see them in video games. You know what? That's my safe space, and I don't want them in there. Mm-hmm. This is all part of a, lo- a long covert plan to remove the slider in video games that you can use to choose the sides of size. the character's breasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. yep. You know, people have all sorts of uh, causes. Uh, they decide what's important to them. And when I was very young, I decided when I was playing Goldeneye and uh, I noticed those pixelated breasts and got so upset, I decided, mm. you know, this is what I'm going to do. Mm. Yes, I, that's that's my commitment is, is you know, enshrining legislation that 
that there is a maximum number of polygons that can be used to render a breast. That number is six. I think there just shouldn't be there shouldn't be any men in video games at all. I think we should mm. just because I'm an SJW and I just wanna I want to stamp them all out and that's why I'm not talking about it. Yeah. You know what? Mm. Even though I'm a man, I I agree. Mm. And um, you know what? I I think you're brave, and I hope uh, I hope you get to kill me. Thank you. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, um, we might we might leave it there. We might stick a little pin in it mm. and right. do a little bit more stuff for the patron only, for the subscriber only podcast. The real friends. I'm excited. The the real friends of the show. Come on. Uh, so yeah, if you if you have enjoyed this conversation with Trev, you would like to hear a bit more of that. You can pop on over to the old Patreon page, uh, pony up your several dollars. Mm. And you can listen to that and all of the other uh, bonus material and interviews that we have done with people. Um, so again, I will I will attach to this episode and on the website and all over the Twitter and everything uh, links to to Trevor's projects and uh, blog and podcast and all that sort of stuff. Wonderful, thank you. Would highly recommend getting into it if uh, if you tend to. Uh, think about things like video games and art and stuff like that a little more than you should a little more than it's healthy in my case a lot more than it's healthy <laughs> <laughs> but yes i uh, i highly recommend it to people so we'll get all that stuff out there and um and yeah we'll we'll see you over on the on the bonus episode see you there all right so thank you for your time and see you everybody bye cheers <laughs>